0: Thank you, choir, for helping saturate us in the gospel So we talked about last week. um, Every time we hear the gospel sung, every time we hear the gospel spoken, hear the gospel read from Scripture, it's a part of what God is doing in our hearts and minds and drawing us closer and closer to Him. And so, uh, thank you for leading us in that reminding us that it is by grace alone that we are saved. It's not our works. It is what God has done for us. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father? As we come to this time in our service where we um, open up your word and we seek to know and understand and uh, apply to our lives the truths that that your word contains, Father. Everything we read in your word is, is truth, Father, and and we want it to make a difference in our lives. Father, we know uh, left to ourselves, we push back against what is true, and we turn to things that are false. Father, that is our sinful nature inside of us, Lord, and, and so we need your help. Uh, Father, we've already said in this service that we are a needy people. Father, we are in need of your help. Well, Father, It's an it's an act of your grace that even in this moment that as we open up your word that we would understand and know and be able to apply your word to our lives father that's you you are the one doing that and so we ask father that by the power of your holy spirit father that you would work your truth into our hearts and then work it out of us in our actions as we seek to live our lives according to your good holy word in jesus name we pray amen you're going to be turning in your Bible to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians is where we'll be this morning. Have you ever, have you ever converted anything? Anybody ever converted anything, had, had done some kind of conversion in your life? I got I to thinking about this word, and I was like, there's all kind of things that we convert and that we can convert. Just Just think about it for a minute. If you have the right formula, you could convert inches to centimeters. Right or miles to kilometers, or if we want to think about weight, you could convert ounces to grams and back the other way. If you've got the right formula, you can do that. If you have the right software for a computer, I'm not a computer person, but so I think software is the right word, uh, program. I'm not sure, but if you have the right software or program, you can convert one kind of file on a computer to another kind of file. For instance. If you know anything about some music, and I don't really know much about music on computers, but you can convert something that's called an MP3 file to an MP4 file. It's a different kind of file of music. Or if you have an old, old kind of computer software and you've got a file on that, um, and then you've got to open that up on a new computer, well, a conversion has to take place in order for that. And I don't know how that works. It's magic to me. But it happens. It happens. There you go. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. That's right. So gas conversion. That's right. (laughs) I don't know if I don't know. I don't know if that took us computer software or not. But uh, but so all kinds of things. Think about this. Maybe maybe I think some of you have done this before. Uh, If you have the right tools and the right parts, then you could convert a manual transmission over to an automatic transmission in a car. Or at least you could replace one with the other so that the car as a whole is converted from a manual transmission to an automatic transmission. You can even you can even, if you have the right abilities of persuasion, you might could even convert someone, from pulling for one team to pull for another team, right? Any? No, I, I, I see a bunch of heads. No, no, we, we like our teams, right? I say the same thing. You'll never convert me. I, sometimes I think that, that my, okay, so most of you know this. My wife, my wife graduated from Auburn, okay? I'm not an Auburn fan. And so, so she graduated from Auburn. Her family huge Auburn fans, love, love Auburn, pull for Auburn, uh, watch the Auburn games, all, all this kind of stuff, and so wear all the all the Auburn stuff and say weird things like War Eagle. I don't even know what that means, but um, but anyway, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble when my wife finds out about this. She wasn't able to be here today. She's not feeling well, but um, I'm going to get in trouble, but I'm still going to say it. So uh, so if I call you and I'm looking for a place to stay, please answer your phone and say yes, um, but, but I but sometimes I think that that they're they're subtly trying to convert me to to pull for Auburn, as if that's even possible that I could I could be converted to do that. So so, her mom got me a a, a, a Auburn T-shirt. For real, and I was like, okay, like i yeah. She she's like I found a good deal on. Do you want an Auburn T-shirt? I was like, well, do I say no or do I say yes? Like that's a hard. That's a hard decision to make, and I was like, I, guess, I think I should say yes. And so I said, well, I mean, sure, I'll take an Auburn T-shirt. Well, then I had to pay her back for it. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't realize I was have to pay for it. But I think that might have been part of the technique. Like maybe if I had to pay my own money for it, like I would somehow take ownership of it and say, well. I paid money for this. I'm going to wear it, you know. And so I I, I wear that shirt one day a year. Okay, I wear that shirt the Saturday after Thanksgiving when Auburn is playing Alabama. But I wear my Clemson hoodie over it. (laughs) So they're not going to they're not going to convert me. They're not going to. Those are some conversions that. Some are kind of hard, hard conversions to make happen, but those are conversions that we can do on our own, right? With the right formula, with the right tools, with the right amount of persuasion, you can make those conversions on your own. But there's a conversion that everyone in the world desperately needs. It's not a conversion That we can do on our own. See this conversion. Is a conversion. Where we go. From death. To life. From dead. In our sins. To alive in Christ. From separated from God. To reconciled. Into a right relationship. With God. From enemies. Of God. To friends of God. From people who have been kicked out of God's kingdom. And out of his family because of our sin. To people who are welcomed into his kingdom. And welcomed into his family. As sons and daughters. Of the most high God. It's a conversion. That needs to take place. In every human heart. It's the most important conversion in all of life. But it's not something, it's not a conversion that we have the power to do on our own. Not for ourselves or for anyone else. Now, in God's plan of saving people, we'll see Today and in a few weeks that we get to play a role in that. We play a role in our own conversion and we get to play a role in other people's conversion. But at the end of the day, this conversion that has to take place has to be a divinely initiated, a divinely worked out conversion in our lives. The fourth mark of a healthy church member that we want to look at is this, genuinely converted. A healthy church member is genuinely converted. Now, I'm going to stop right there and say, some of you may think, well, isn't that a given? That if we're members of, church, of a church that we would be genuinely converted? And I wish I could say, yes. But unfortunately, sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes we're able to work our way into a Christian setting, thinking that we have salvation, fooling those around us, and maybe even fooling ourselves. And it's always important to take time to stop and think about our own lives. Scripture calls us to do this. And say, am I genuinely converted? Have I been saved? And to do that, I want us to look at this passage in First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. Now, Paul is writing this letter to the Thessalonians. It's a city called Thessalonica, and there's a church there. Paul helped get this church started, at least helped lead some people to Christ. Uh, We don't know how far he got in starting the church, but at least helped lead some people to Christ here in this city on his second missionary journey. Now, if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about being an expositional listener. We kind of gave the Thessalonian, at least the Thessalonian Jews, kind of a bad rap because we were comparing, as Scripture does, the Thessalonian Jews to the Berean Jews. And you remember the Berean Jews were more noble because they examined the Scriptures to make sure that what Paul was saying was true. It's the same time setting. As as we looked at just a few weeks ago. But there were many in Thessalonica who believed. Who were converted. Who believed in Christ. Were saved from their sin. And now Paul is writing a letter back to them. Encouraging them. And giving them some instructions on how to live as someone who has been converted from Being an enemy of God to being a friend of God. Someone who's been converted from dead in their sins to alive in Christ. And as we read this and study it, we want to see that a healthy church member has been genuinely converted by the transforming power of the gospel. And the Thessalonians are a great example of this. If you will follow along as I read. I'm going to start in verse 4. Chapter 1, verse 4. For we know, that's Paul writing. so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. We want to answer three questions in this passage. The first question that we want to answer is this. Who does the converting? The the Thessalonians that Paul is writing to have been converted. He is affirming that in their lives. He's encouraging them. He's reminding them of how it happened. Who does this work? And that's exactly what Paul starts off with in Verse 4. So genuine conversion, number one today, genuine conversion is God's work in you. It is God's work in you. Let me say that one more time. Genuine conversion is God's work in you. We cannot remind ourselves of that enough. Conversion, becoming a Christian, being saved, is something that God does in us. He's the one who has the power to save. He is the one who has chosen to love us and to save us. We see this in several ways here at the beginning of this passage in verses 4 through 5. Notice the emphasis that Paul places on the role of God in the Thessalonians conversion. He says, for we know, brothers, loved by God that he has chosen you. He starts with God the Father's divine initiative in their salvation. He says, we know that God has loved you. Do you realize that if God has not loved us, then there's no way that we could ever be saved from our sin? No way. And it's his choosing to love us. We don't go to God and talk him in to loving us. He's chosen to love us just because He wants to. Because He knows that it will bring Him great glory to conquer Satan and to rescue people from their sin. And do something that only He can do. So that then we stand back, all of the world, and says, wow, what a great God. He's chosen to love us. He says, we know that that He loves you, that you are loved by God. We know that He has chosen you. And, and then we get this word gospel, because our gospel came to you, not only in word. Just think about the word gospel for a minute. We spent all last uh, Sunday thinking about this gospel and talking about this gospel. This gospel is the good news that Jesus has come to pay the price for our sin and to conquer our enemy for us. On our behalf. That is the good news of the gospel. So when he, when he uses the word gospel, our minds ought to immediately go to Jesus. God the Father has loved and chosen you, he says. And then we preach the good news of Jesus to you. This good news that Christ has come. And then we get this work of the Spirit The third person of the Trinity, he says, because our gospel came to you not only in word. In other words, it wasn't just words from our lips speaking to you, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And so we see this triune work of God in bringing conversion to these Thessalonians. God, the father loves and chooses the sacrifice of Jesus in redeeming them, and the power of the Holy Spirit in convicting them of their sin. From beginning to end, salvation is a work of God. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful work of the Almighty God. If you are saved here today, if you have been converted from eternal death to eternal life, if you have been forgiven of your sins, I want you to know that God has done that work in you. God has loved you and chosen you. Jesus has sacrificed Himself for you. And the Holy Spirit has convicted your heart of your sin and drawn you into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so all praise and glory and honor is due the name of God, most high. It is primarily a work of God in you. But now, when does conversion take place? That will be the next question that we would want to ask. It's primarily, it is a work of God in us. But when does this happen? Is it automatic? Like whenever I'm born, God does this work of conversion in my, in my, in my heart? Or whenever I start going to church, does this work of conversion, God, do that in my life? Or is it whenever I start reading the Bible that God does this? Or whenever I memorize some Bible verses? Or whenever I start going to Sunday school? Or whenever I start trying to live for God, is that when conversion happens? The answer to all of those questions is no. not saying those things are bad. But those are not the times, those are not the the occurrences of conversion in our heart. When does it take place? Number two, genuine conversion occurs when you receive the gospel. Genuine conversion occurs when you receive the gospel. Notice what he says in verse 6. When you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So God does this incredible work of conversion, of salvation in their hearts, but it happened when and only when they chose to receive this word, this gospel. When Paul says that they received this word, he's referring back to that gospel word, that gospel message that he went and preached to them there on his second missionary journey. They received it. What's the opposite of receiving something? Starts with the R2. Rejecting it. We're rejecting it. We have a choice. Will we receive the gospel message or will we reject it? We know if we go back and, and read in Acts about Paul's second missionary journey when he went there, some some received the gospel, but others rejected the gospel. And some of those who rejected it rejected it so much that they ran Paul out of town. But these Thessalonians had experienced the mighty work of God in rescuing them from their sins when they received the gospel message. Now, what does it mean to receive it? What, is, what, is, what does it mean to, to take hold of this good news of Jesus? Like, How do I do that? How do I, how do I receive this message in such a way that God does a mighty work Of conversion in my heart. I'm going to let Jesus answer that question for us. Jesus said. When he came. And he started his earthly ministry. He said repent. And believe. For the kingdom of God is at hand. The two things that Jesus told us. That we needed to do. Was repent of our sins. That's what the Holy Spirit does in us. As he draws us to salvation. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. I remember the moment. That I trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. And in that moment, and this had never happened in my life, even though I had grown up in church and I would heard the gospel, for the very first time I felt the weight of my sin upon me. And it was unbearable. That wasn't me doing that. That was the work of the Holy Spirit. Convicting me of my sin. Have you ever been convicted of your sin where you feel the weight Of your sin. The guilt and the shame. And you know. You know. That the only thing you deserve from God. Is to be punished. Because you know. That you have offended. The almighty God of this universe. It's a heavy weight. It's not a fun thing to to experience. The weight of our sin. But when we. Experience the weight of the of our sin upon us. Jesus says, "Turn from that, repent of that." We we see examples of that even here with the Thessalonians. We see that the in verse back in verse five that the the gospel came to them with the power of the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So Paul says, "We saw how the Holy Spirit convicted your hearts, how you were broken over your sin." And then if you'll skip down to verse nine. We have this beautiful word turned and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. There's evidence of repentance where they had been convicted of their sin, but instead of ignoring it or instead of saying I can fix this problem on my own, they said I need to turn from this. But then we quickly must go to that second word because it's not simply us saying, oh, I'll clean up my life. I'll just stop sinning and then God will convert me, it's repent and believe. Because the truth of the matter is, you and I cannot even turn from our sin on our own. And even if we make some good attempts at it, that's not enough to save us. We need what Jesus did, His blood shed on the cross, applied to our lives, covering our sin. And that only happens as we repent and, second word, believe. Believe in Jesus. Now, we got to be careful with the word believe. And this is where, even as people who are involved in church, maybe even members of a church, we have to be careful. Because sometimes we confuse mental assent to historical facts with a belief in Jesus that saves us. Here's what I mean by that. You can believe that Jesus was a real person who came from God and lived a couple thousand years ago and died on a cross the hands of the Jews and the Romans, and even that he rose up from the dead. You can believe that all of those things actually happened in history and you can be on your way to hell. You know how I can say that with full confidence? The Bible tells us that even Satan and his demons believe and they shudder. But, but they haven't been converted. So there is a type of belief that doesn't result in salvation. It's the belief that well, these things actually happened, But the kind of belief that saves us is a fake belief. It's a trust belief. It's where I don't only say and, I, and believe that Jesus actually came and died, but I say I am trusting in Jesus and what He did on the cross to rescue me from my sin. I am submitting my life to His Lordship. I'm saying that Jesus is the sovereign king of the universe. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And there's nothing that I could ever do to earn salvation. He has done it all. And so I am completely casting myself upon him. I am fully relying upon him and what he did on the cross to save me from my sin. That's the kind of belief that brings salvation. Now, Sometimes we believe, and we just believe so that we can get out of a situation in our lives. We say, "God, if you, God, I'm gonna believe in you if you if you get rid of this cancer in my life." God, I I believe in you, and, and if if you get me out of this marital difficulty, or, or maybe maybe we'll, we'll we'll after the fact. Well, God, because you did that, I'm gonna believe. Jesus didn't come to save us from our temporary earthly problems. Now, does he help us through them? Yes. Does he walk with us through them? Yes. Jesus came to deliver us, as the last verse in this passage says, from the wrath of God. So if you're believing in Jesus just so you can get better from your physical sickness, just so that you can have a better life now, just so that you can maybe get that job that you want, you're, you're not believing in Jesus for salvation. You're believing in him just for your own personal, temporary, earthly comfort. And that's not why Jesus came. He didn't come to save us from earthly difficulty. He came to save us from the eternal wrath of God. Say, how can you say that? Because he says here in the end of verse 10 that Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. That's why he came. And we see it exemplified in the... Thessalonians lives, because what happened when they believed much affliction came into their lives? Look at what he says there in verse six. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. Their lives got harder. Their lives got more difficult when they believed in Jesus. And so often, especially in our country. We think that following Jesus means that my life gets easier. And that's not the case. It's genuine belief in the Thessalonians. Because they believed in Jesus so that they would be rescued from the wrath of God. Not so that they would have an easy life now. Have you repented of your sins and have you believed in Jesus? But Have you believed in Him the right reason? Have you believed in Him just to get you out of some difficult situation in this present earthly life? Or have you cried out to Him knowing that the wrath of God was coming your way? And that Jesus was the only one who could absorb that wrath, the full wrath of God on your behalf. And that He has done that through His death on the cross. And that none of that wrath would come your way because of what Jesus did. Is that why you have believed? If you have, the Scripture would say that you have been genuinely converted. Genuine genuine conversion does not occur just because you pray a prayer. Genuine conversion doesn't happen just because you walk down an aisle in a church. Genuine conversion doesn't just happen because you You fill out a membership card and join a church. Membership doesn't happen just because you get baptized. Genuine conversion happens when you trust by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As I think about this, I think about all the ways that we get confused with what genuine conversion actually is. Sometimes, sometimes it's even even we, we think that it's breaking bad habits in our lives, right? And we think, well, well, I, I, I'm going to stop doing this thing, and then that means that that I'm saved. Do you know that you can you can make behavioral changes in your life all by yourself without any help from God? You can. On a silly note, I learned to stop biting my fingernails when I was a kid. All by myself. It didn't take God to do that. We can break bad habits. Someone who says, well, I used to have this habit and now I don't. That means I'm saved. Where's Jesus in that? Now, here's the thing. Jesus, when he saves you, will help you break that bad habit. But you breaking that bad habit on your own does not save you. I was reading reading this week um, about um, uh, a lady that you've probably heard of. If you haven't heard of her, you've probably heard of her husband. Her name is Giselle Bunchen. I think I'm saying that right. Um, And her husband is uh, Tom Brady. Uh, She is a famous supermodel. She was, for about 15 years, the highest paid model in the world, I think. Um, And uh, her husband is um, one of the best uh, quarterbacks the NFL has ever seen. Um and uh this is what she said. She was she just had a book come out about her life and she talked about some some unhealthy lifestyle practices that she had and and how she doesn't have those uh lifestyle practices anymore. I just want to read what she said. She said, I just prayed. Now I don't know who she's praying to, but she said, I just prayed when I kind of stepped back and had the opportunity to start meditating and start practicing yoga which is, comes out of false religions, by the way, um, so she, we know it's not any kind of Christianity. She said, I started realizing, wait a minute, look what I'm doing, she said, and then I changed my life. I stopped drinking, I stopped smoking, and I went three months without e- eating any type of sugar. I just stopped. You know what that tells me? That she's a physically healthier person than she was before she made these changes in her life says nothing about her salvation. It says nothing about her heart. Outward behavioral changes does not mean that an inward conversion has happened in your heart and life. However, genuine conversion that starts in your heart always leads to outward changes in how you live your life. I said three questions. Third question is this. What happens as a result of conversion? How does it happen? God does it. When does it happen? When I receive the gospel of Jesus. And what happens as a result? Genuine conversion is an inner transformation that is outwardly visible. So number three, third point today. Genuine conversion is an inward transformation that then is outwardly visible. You see, all Giselle had is an outward, visible change of lifestyle. But it was absent of any heart change. We see this here in verses 7 through 10. Really, all through this passage, we see evidence that a transformation has taken place in the Thessalonians' lives. quickly give you three things that we see changed in their lives. Number one, we see that their heart has changed because their worship has changed. They have a new love. It says that they turn from idols to God. They were worshiping someone or something that was not God, and now they're worshiping the one who is God. That's a heart change. A new love has captured their heart. What you love is what you worship. And they loved their idols, and so they worshiped their idols. And now they love God, and so they worship God. It's the evidence of what has taken place by God's power through their faith in Jesus in their hearts and lives. I wonder, I wonder what you are worshiping today. If someone were to watch your life, what would they say is your greatest love? Is it money? Is it status? Is it popularity? Is it your job? Is it your grades? Is it a spouse? Is it your kids? What are you worshiping? What are you devoting your life to? See, when we are genuinely converted, a heart change takes place and we have a new love. But then that love for God doesn't just stay in our hearts, but you can see it on the outside. Notice, notice what happens when their hearts are turned, how you turn to God from idols, so their worship changed. They have a new love, but then it says to serve the living and true God. So not only do they have a new love, but they have a new purpose They have a new purpose. This is is a, a new way of living. A new goal for their lives. When we worship someone or something other than God, then we're living for ourselves. But when our hearts are transformed to love God, then that's lived out in our lives as we live to serve the living and true God. What are you living to serve today? Are you serving yourself your own wants and desires. Or are you serving with your life God most high? Who's calling the shots in your life? Is it God or is it you? Who sets the agenda for your day? Is it God or is it you? Who are you serving? Someone who's been genuinely converted. Because they have a new love. They have a new purpose in their life. To serve the most high God. Yeah, these Thessalonians. They're now having to endure persecution. But that's okay with them. Because they're enduring, verse 6 says, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter what's going on around them. It doesn't matter what other people say. They love God because He first loved them. And they're going to live His lives for, their glory, for His glory. And they're going to do it with joy in their hearts. Because they love Him. And they love Him because He has changed them. A new love. A new purpose. And then we see here at the end, a new hope. Verse 10 says, and to wait. This word has gone out that people all around them are seeing. That this change has happened. That They love God, that they're serving God, and they have a new hope. And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. It's a new expectation for eternity. This new hope. You see, now, now, they are expecting Jesus to come. And when He comes, they're expecting to be delivered from the wrath that they deserve. A little while ago, we sang one of my favorite songs. It is well with my soul. That last verse, I love it. I love the way the writer pin those words to, to say that when Christ comes, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trumps shall resound. The Lord shall descend. And notice what he says next. He says, even so, it is well with my soul. Why does he say even so? Because Left to ourselves, it should not be well with our souls when the king of kings comes in riding on his white horse, ready to tread out the wine presses of the wrath of God because we deserve it. Revelation says that there's a sharp sword in his mouth, the symbolic of his word. And with that word he strikes down the nations, it should not be well with my soul when Jesus returns. How can that writer say, even so, has Christ comes back, it is well with my soul. Because verse 3 says, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. How can it be well with our soul when we think about the fact that we deserve the wrath of God? Not because of anything that we've done but because of what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's so sad. As I read the rest of this article about Giselle Bunchin, after she talked about those changes that she made in her life, this is what she said. I said, I have to make these changes in my life. Because no one is going to come and save me from this. I'm the person who helped create this condition. True. That's true. So I'm the only one who can get myself out of this. That's wrong. Someone has come. Someone has come. And His name is Jesus. And He didn't come first as a mighty warrior on a war horse to strike down the nations. He came first as a humble servant and laid down His life so that we could be changed. Not just outwardly, but an inward transformation where God God captures our soul and he, He redeems us and He restores us back into a right relationship with Him that then works itself out In the way that we live our lives, I want to tell her someone has come. His name is Jesus. Have you trusted in him? Are you trusting in him today? It's the only way to be genuinely converted. Say, you're preaching this at church. Aren't you supposed to be preaching this out at some evangelistic rally that has a bunch of unsaved people there? Well, this would be a great place to preach it. It would. But here's, here's one thing that burdens my heart as a pastor. is to know that it's likely, and I don't know anyone's soul, only God knows your soul. But it's likely that even in our church, guaranteed, if we were to take all the churches in the world, but likely even here, that there would be people that would sit week after week under the preaching of God's Word, who would even be members of the church, have never experienced genuine conversion. Say, how can you say something like that? Two things. One is because of what God's Word says. What Jesus said. One of the the passages that haunts my soul is when Jesus said there will be many on that day. That means the day of His return. Many on that day. And say, Lord, Lord, did we not? And then they're going to list all these things that they did. Out of service for God. And He's going to say, depart from Me. For I never knew you. Why? Because it's not the things that we think we're doing for God that saves us. It's the work of God that He does when we trust in Him. There will be many people on that day who have sat in church week after week, have served God, and yet never entrusted their souls to the saving power of God, trusting in Jesus, Allowing the Holy Spirit to transform their heart and life. That's the first reason I say that. Because of what God's Word says. The second reason is just from experience. Because I know people that have gone for years and years pretending to be a follower of Jesus. And for whatever reason, because of pride in their heart, not willing to admit that For years, they've been faking it. And they've lived not a follower of Christ, only to one day, finally, be confronted with their sin by the miraculous power of God, admitted that they needed to trust in Jesus. One of those people that... that I know is my grandfather. But he was 79 years old. He was in bad health. I remember I was I was, uh, 12, 10, 11, 12 years old. I can't remember. And I remember my dad gathering us up one Saturday morning saying, we're going to visit your grandparents. And they lived a couple of hours away. And we didn't know why. And so we went and... And he told us to go play outside in the yard for a while, and so we did. And I didn't know then, but I learned a short while later was that my dad was sitting in the living room sharing the gospel with a seventy-year-old, seventy-nine-year-old father. And he said, "Dad, I just got to ask you. Your your health is failing." He said, "I just got to know." He said, "He said, when you die, do you know where you're going?" my grandfather, 79 years old, looked at him and he said, I was sprinkled in the Presbyterian church. I was baptized in the Baptist church. And I've been going my whole life. And he said, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going. My dad said, you can know today. You can know that Jesus came to die for you. And you can trust in Him today. And in a moment of God's grace, a 79-year-old man who could have been so prideful and not willing to admit that he had never truly trusted in Christ, he said, I need to trust in Jesus today. And at 79 years old, my grandfather, who had been going to church for Years and years and years and years. And members of churches for years and years. On that day, he was converted. And it wasn't long after that that he passed from this life to the next. And it wasn't any of those years of church going and church membership that saved him from the wrath of God. It was that moment at 79 when he turned from his sin and trusted in Jesus Christ to save him. It was then that he was converted. What about you? Don't wait till you're 79, or if you're already past that, don't wait till you're any older than you already are. Don't wait. Don't wait. Trust in Jesus and be saved. Heavenly Father, in this moment, would you work? in people's hearts and lives. Father, I believe that even, even as we've come into this place and been singing the Gospel and praying the Gospel, and Father, as the Gospel has been read from Your Word and preached, Father, that the Holy Spirit is working in people's hearts and lives, doing one of two things, either assuring us of the salvation that we have, And we've been thinking back to that time in our life when we were converted, when we trusted in Jesus. And we've been reminded that it was a work that You have done and has led us to say, thank You, God, for saving me. Or, Father, what Your Spirit has been speaking into someone's heart is that they're not saved. Whatever they've been counting on to rescue them from their sin, they haven't been counting on the blood of Jesus. So, Father, in this moment, I just pray that they would repent right now, that they would repent of their sins before you, and they would say, God, I need your work of salvation. Father, there's someone who is dead in their sins today, who has not experienced genuine conversion. Father, I pray that you would do that mighty work right now in their heart.